Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. All right. Colossians 1 verse 15. Colossians 1 verse 15. Um, So in order to see the invisible become visible, which is what I want to speak to you about today, we need to reflect the image, realize the authority, and resurrect the consistency. All right? Invisible, Invisible visibility. Colossians 1 verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. In order to see the invisible become visible, we need to, first of all, reflect the image. Um, The word image here is from the Greek word icon, which means a likeness. Um, Literally, it would mean like a statue or a profile. So the Statue of Liberty would be an icon, right? A Statue of Liberty would be this likeness. It would be an image. Figuratively, it would be a representation or resemblance. It goes on uh, in in the strongest concordance, it goes on to explain that this word um, is the image of the Son of God into which true Christians are transformed is, like, um, is likeness not only to the heavenly body, but also to the most holy and blessed state of mind which Christ possesses. Right? First Peter 1 verse 20 says, He indeed was foreordained. Do you have this scripture? I want to read it with you guys. 1 Peter 1 verse 20, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Next verse. (laughs) Who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you, have been pur- since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Now it says that Jesus, he was made manifest, right? He was made manifest, which means that it says that he was before the foundations of the world, right? So he was made manifest. He came and put on skin, right? He came and came as a human because we needed someone between us and God. We needed a mediator. We needed someone to stand in the gap because the first Adam had destroyed the connection between us and God. And so now God the Father has this wrath against humanity because of sinfulness, because of sin that separated Us from him, right? So Jesus came and took all of that wrath. So now, when we believe in him, he sees us as he sees Jesus, right? So he came and became the express image of God the Father. He became the manifest God, right? He he became came into skin and became God. He didn't become God, sorry. (laughs) He became human. Um, So he was the icon. He was a likeness. He was a statue. He was a representation or resemblance of God. But he was God, right? So he was how we can perceive God to be because he says, anything that the Father has done, I am doing, right? If you've seen me do it, then the Father's doing it, right? So he is the express image of God. Um, Do you guys know who Leonardo da Vinci is? Leonardo da Vinci. Um, 
Leonardo da Vinci. I, I can try. Should I try reading, reading this in an Italian accent? I can't do it, but I can try. Leonardo da Vinci was an Italian painter, draftsman, sculptor, architect, and engineer. The Mona Lisa is Leonardo da Vinci's and the world's most famous painting. It is also... Sorry, I'm really screwing up now. Um, it is also the only portrait by Leonardo whose authorship remains unquestioned. There has been much speculation and debate regarding the identity of the portrait sitter. Scholars and historians have posited numerous interpretations, including that she is Lisa del Giocando, the wife of the Florentine merchant Francesco di Bartolomeo del Giocando. Hence the alternative title to the work, del Gioconda. That identity... That identity was suggested in 1550, about 50 years after the painting of it, by artist biographer Giorgio Vasari. Another theory was that the model may have been Leonardo's mother, Caterina. That interpretation was uh, put forth by, among others, Sigmund Freud, who seemed to think that the Mona Lisa's mysterious smile emerged from a perhaps unconscious memory of Caterina's smile. A third suggestion was that the painting was, in fact, Leonardo's self-portrait. Given the resemblance between the sitters and the artist's facial features, some scholars suggested that the disguising himself as a woman was the artist's riddle. The sitter's identity has not been conclusively proven. In an attempt to settle the debate, art and forensics experts in August 2013 opened the tomb of, Gio of the Giocando family in Florence in order to find Lisa del Giocando's remains, test her DNA, and recreate an image of her face. So this painting, which I'm, I'm going to put side by side, I want to put um, Lisa del Giocondo and Mona Lisa, right? Um, so there are three, three, main, um, three main sitters or people who stand there while they're painted, right? There's three people who most historians believe that the Mona Lisa represents. One is that it's Lisa del Giocondo, this family friend, right? Or that it's his mother. So they see, they see the smile, and uh, Sigmund Freud um, <laughs> Sigmund Freud thought that the smile was very representative of his mother's smile, so he thought maybe it was a subconscious thought that I'm actually painting my mother here. So he didn't actually have a sitter there, but it may, it may have been a, a, what he conjured up as his mother. Or another very common interpretation of it, uh, or view of the, the authorship, I mean, not the authorship, sorry, the sitter, whoever is being painted, is also himself. So some people think, because of the likeness of himself and, and the structure of the face, that it's, it's a riddle. It's a riddle for us to find out. But one thing is undisputed. The one thing that's undisputed about this picture is that Leonardo da Vinci painted it. It's the one picture that there's, it's undis, undisputed. It's undisputed that he definitely painted it, right? The one picture that he painted that everybody knows, he painted. Nobody else painted, he painted it only. Okay? So no matter who you think the sitter is, no matter if it's his mom or himself, see, 67% of people out of, out of those three categories, 67% of people think that it has something to do with his family line because there's so many resemblances to his facial structure, his mom's facial structure. See, they see the likeness. They see the image there of him, of his family line, right? They see that he's not, he's not just painting an abstract person. He's not just painting someone else. Even if he is painting someone else, he is superimposing his own thought of himself and his mother onto the painting, right? So what, he, what we see here 
is somehow in Leonardo da Vinci's mind a, some type of representation of himself. See, so while he was painting, he was, he was thinking, even if it was about this other woman, even if it was about this other woman, he was somehow thinking, this is, this is how my face looks, how it feels, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to express that. And see, Scripture says that you are created in the image of God. He is the author and perfecter of our salvation, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, right? He is the author. He is the ultimate author. That means that what you portray should be his image. What you do should be an image of God, right? Because it says here that Jesus was an image of the Father. It says here that he was representing his Father. See, he was reflecting the image of his Father. And today, I want to encourage you to reflect the image of your Father. I want, to, I, I want to encourage you to reflect the image of the one who set you free, who made you free. And now that freedom, see, it's, the Word of God says that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. <laughs> it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Just to set us free, he, he freed us. You know, he, he loved us that much. Even while we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace we are saved through faith, right? There's, there's nothing that can separate. So reflect the image of God. I want to encourage you, wherever you're at in life, whatever you're doing in life, I want you to know that you are a representation of God. You are reflecting the image of God. Some people may see you as something. Some people may see you as another thing. But you are an express image of God because he created you. You are created in the image of God. Not only that, but you have been him then, and now you are a son and daughter of God. All right, so you are in his family line. All right. So in order to see the invisible become visible, we need to reflect the image of God. Then we need to realize the authority. We need to realize the authority that we're under. For by him all things were, verse 16, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Hebrews 2 verse 8 says, you have put all things, can you put this up? You have put all things in subjection under his feet. This is crazy, guys. This is going to blow your mind. You have put all things in subjection. It blew my mind. That's why I'm saying that. Um, <laughs> you have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. Now, <laughs> when you read this next portion of the scripture, you're going to say, well, that's completely contradictory. That Scripture, the first scripture contradicts the second one completely. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. Now, did he not just contradict himself? Well, I'm going to tell you he didn't contradict himself because it says, but we do not yet see, right? We do not yet see, but we see Jesus. But we see Jesus. See, Jesus is the express image of God on the earth, and therefore he is the authority of God on the earth. See, what we see, what we see in Jesus is that all things are subject to him, right? What we see in Jesus is that all things are subject to him. So you have to realize the authority that is inside of you. When you accept Jesus, you have authority. And it's because Jesus had authority. It's because Jesus had authority that he could go and cast out demons. It's because Jesus had authority that he could speak in tongues, right? Well, not. <laughs> I mean, he had the Holy Spirit, so I don't know. <laughs> um. Okay, 
So, but we see Jesus made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death and crowning glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. See, he came and he was the express image of God. When he became, as, became the express image of God, he came and lived as a human and died in our place, right? And now all things are subject to him. All things are subject to him. It says, for in that he put all in subject underneath him. He left nothing that is not put under him. Now, do you have things in your life that are contradictory to that? Something that is not put under Jesus? Because you will know. You will know if you have something that's not put under Jesus. It's not going to look like the rest of your life. It's not going to look like the rest of the good things that God's doing in your life because it's not under the subjection of Jesus. See, Jesus came and he lived the perfect life so that we wouldn't have to live the perfect life, but we could just believe on him. And when we believe on him, we are counted as completely righteous, right? But that empowers us to live a right life, a righteous life. That empowers us to live like he lived. Um, so it's our job to, by faith, cling to the truth that all things in our lives, as far as we are concerned, are subject to him. He has authority, right? He has authority. You need to realize the authority that he has. You need to realize that he has, that he has authority over your life. And whenever you put that realization at the front of your head, at the front of your, I mean, at the front of your mind, you can, you can realize the full truth, the full truth of the word of God, right? That everything is subject to him. Everything is. Everything in your life is subject to him because Jesus, because you see Jesus, all right, um, my dad is a missionary. My mom is also, I don't know why I just said my dad. But my parents are missionaries. Um, they currently live in China. Don't tell the Chinese government because <laughs> that wouldn't be pretty. Um, but they, they live there. They're uh, teaching English at a university there. And they're teaching a couple other subjects too um, in Beijing. And they have lived there for about two and a half years uh, off and on, back and forth. And, uh, and my dad is a missionary at heart. He got saved when he was 19, and he immediately went to the mission field. He, he left his entire life. By the time he was 20, he was on the mission field full time. He, a year after he was saved, he, was, he just went. He was like, God, I'm giving everything to you, and I'm, this is my calling. This is what I know my lot in life is. So now, whenever he comes back to the United States, he kind of has like separation anxiety from the rest of the nations. He's like, he's like uh, I kind of need to be over there, right? I kind of, I kind of want to be over there because God has put inside of him this calling, this, this gifting to be a missionary, to, to go to another nation and preach the gospel. And he's given him that authority, right? He's given him authority in, in other nations. See, it is his specific calling, his specific duty in life to go and preach the gospel to all nations. And he has a specific calling to nations other than his own, right? God has called him to other nations. He's called him, initially he went to Austria, Germany, Switzerland. I was actually born in Austria while they were over there. And then, um, and then God called him back to the United States. He was here for about seven years pastoring a church in Illinois. But then um, when I was about 10 years old, God called him back to the mission field, called my entire family back to the mission field. Um, and so we left. Um, but it's so obvious now that whenever he's here in the United States, uh, he, just, he just doesn't, it, he doesn't operate the same. It's just a little bit different. It's a little bit different than when he's in his specific calling, what God has called him to do. And see, he has, he has authority. He has authority here in the United States, but it's a little bit different because his calling is to other nations. He has a different kind of authority when he's in, in other nations. Like when he's here in the United States, um, he, 
he sees doors opening to other nations, but not here in the United States because God's called him to be a missionary outside of this nation. And so, so whenever he goes to other nations, he, he gains a louder voice and he becomes, um, I mean, I see hundreds and hundreds of people come to Christ when he's in other nations. But then he comes back for like a month and he's like, what's going on? You know, but God has given him authority specifically in his calling, in his gifting, right? So I want you guys to realize that you each are individual. You each are, uh, have a call of God on your life. And you need to realize the authority that God has given you for that call, for that specific call. Whatever he's called you to do, he's given you authority to do it. He's given you the ability to do it, all right? So in order to see the invisible become visible, we need to reflect the image of God, realize the authority that God has given us, and then resurrect the consistency. Consistency, that's a hard word, isn't it? I know it's sometimes hard for me to be consistent, like with just cleaning my room. <laughs> or, uh, you know, taking out the trash or doing the dishes. And my roommates really like it. Um, verse 17 says, And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the church, the body, the church, who is the beginning, the first for the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Consist, the word consist there, it's the Greek word sinastao. sinastao. Uh, it means strengthened. It means to set together. It means to introduce favor, favorably or uh, to exhibit, to stand near, to, constant, to constitute, to approve, commend, consist, make or stand with, right? So it's, it's building upon, right? It's doing one thing and doing it again and doing it again and doing it again eventually until it's this huge thing, right? The pyramids weren't built in a day, were they? I mean, that would be incredible if they were. But they were built by consistency. They were built by stepping one, one stone on another, one stone on another, right? I don't actually know what it's made out of. Um, <laughs> um, but that's, that's who we need to be in our lives. We need to be consistent. We need to be consistent um, because that is what God has called us to be. Um, I work also at a hotel. I don't just work here. Um, I, I work at a hotel as well. And I have a coworker. Um, I'm just going to call him Adam, even though that's not his name. Not the Adam from the Bible. He's not that old. Um, I have this coworker called Adam, and, uh, and he's not a believer. He, he grew up in church, and he thinks very negatively about the church. He, he thinks that all preachers are just trying to steal money, and he thinks that um, he thinks that we're naive and just really don't think things through, right? But I've developed this relationship with him. Over time, I've talked to him, and I've, uh, I've developed this relationship and this repertoire with him. And so now I'll talk to him, and I'll bring up things about God, and I, I bring it up often. Pretty much every shift that we work together, I bring it up. I bring up God or something about God, and... Um, and now he, he's open to listening to me. He's not accepting everything that I have to say, but he is open, in, open to listening to me. Well, a couple of months ago, I, uh, I, when, when actually I came up here as a youth pastor, he said, so what are you going to preach when you get over there? And, you know, he, at first he acted like he knew nothing about church whatsoever. So he's like, what are you going to preach when you get over there? And uh, he said, you should preach out of like Corinthians. I'm like, wait, what? You know Corinthians? <laughs> and uh, he said, you should, like, preach out of Corinthians. I'm like, yeah, like, Corinthians is awesome. I mean, that's where the gospel is found. Like, in, in the most simplest form, it's, it's in Corinthians, right? Um, and, and he said, so what are you going to preach on? And so I explained to him. I said, look, 
I know that you have preconceived ideas about me. I know you think things about me. You think some positive things, some negative things. But when it comes to my Christianity, you have put up a wall. You don't, you don't believe everything that I have to say. And that's totally understandable because, you know, your past, I know I totally, I understand where you're coming from. You know, I've been there to a certain extent. We all have. And I just want to let you know that the only difference is that I believe in God. It's not that, I'm not, I'm not saying that your sin disqualifies you. I'm not saying that what you do disqualifies you from God. All I'm saying is that I believe on Jesus and he set me free and that's it. And then I explained to him the simplest form of the gospel. I said, Christ came and died for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures, which is in uh, Corinthians, right? And I said, this is what I believe. I, I believe that it's not a sin well, I don't think we have a sin problem. We have a sin condition, right? And I explained to him that this condition is what holds us back from everything that God has for us. We were born into sin. It's not, it's not something that is, um, it's, not easy, it's not at all escapable by what we do or our actions. It's only escapable by what he did and his actions, And right? So he came and died for us, for our sins, according to the scriptures, was buried and rose again the third day. And only because of what he did do we now get the full benefits of it. And so I explained this to him. And he's, he's there, and, you know, we're at work. I work at a hotel, the front desk at a hotel, and we were in the back, and I was just talking to him five minutes briefly, and I, my boss, two bosses up, was there listening too. I was like, I, was like, I don't care who's listening. This is the gospel. <laughs> and, uh, no, she's pretty awesome. Um, but, yeah, I was just telling him what I believe. You know, this is what I believe. I'm not going to superimpose it on you. I'm not going to tell you to believe it. I'm going to tell you that it's the truth, but I'm not going to tell you you have to believe it. Um, and so I, I sit there, there's like a, a two seconds of silence, and he just puts his head down, and then he looks up, he looks up at me, he says, Nathan, I'm like, yeah, he said, you're going to be a great pastor. And I knew in that moment that I had broken through a wall, I knew in that moment that my consistently talking to him about the truth of the word of God and not some man-made idea or ideology of the word of God that one truth of the gospel broke through that wall, just consistently saying it over and over. See, God has given you the ability to be consistent because he is consistent. He's consistent with his word. He sticks to it. He never goes away from it. So whatever you do in word or deed, it can be a, a perfect representation of what Christ has done. Whatever you say, Whatever you say, however you act, it can be a representation of what Christ has done. Colossians 3 verse 17 says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So in order to see the invisible become visible, these three things, reflect the image of God, realize the authority that he's given you, and resurrect the consistency that Christ has made you live in. You've got it. Um, Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And now I know you guys know that scripture, you go to one cause church. So, <laughs> um, but I, I want to I bring it to you. I want to bring some imagery to that real quick. Okay? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. That means it's substantial. That means it's something tangible, something that you can grasp, something that you can put your hands around, right? So faith is what brings the invisible into the visible. Vi See, faith is what brings the, the hope, which is just far off, right? Hope is not something you see. It brings that and makes it something tangible. It makes, some, it, makes it something that you can feel, that you can grasp, right? And that's why 
I wanted to talk to you guys about this because by faith, all of this is possible. By faith, you can do all of this. By faith, see, you can see the invisible become visible just by reflecting the image of God, realizing the authority he's given you, and resurrecting the consistency in your own life, in your actions, in your deeds, in your words. God has given you the ability to do these things. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.